Stardate 47566.7. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. With me on the view screen is... Mariah Gossett. Clyde Haynes. And Grant Davis. This week, we're covering the series premiere of Star Trek Lower Decks. Guys, the drought is over. New Star Trek is here. The tasty amuse-bouche before Discovery Season 3 has been served, if you will. Did we love it? Are we cautiously optimistic? Did we catch all the Star Trek Easter eggs and references? Stick around to find out. We'll get into our Lower Decks premiere in just a few minutes. And if you are listening to us or watching us live on YouTube, but you're like, where else can I listen to this podcast? You can check us out and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, of course, YouTube. Um, and all of the links are at StarTrekPod.co. Additionally, everyone, a way you guys can help support our podcast is going to Patreon.com slash StarTrekPod. There you can make a per episode pledge. Come help us out by giving us $2 an episode, and in exchange, you guys can come join us on our private exclusive Slack channel with a bunch of other Trekkies who just love everything going on in this expanded universe, and you can come chat with us about all things Trek and a whole bunch of different channels that we have going on there, and we also do bonus exclusive episodes just for you guys. Currently, we have been going through the Kelvin-verse of Star Trek movies. Checking out those Chris Pine, Beautiful Eyes, and the best Chris, the best Chris, and uh, all, all the all the goodness that J.J. Abrams and I think it's the I don't remember who uh, directed the third one. But anyway, uh, we're gonna be talking about all those movies, and you guys can hear our reviews if you go to Patreon.com/slash Star Trek Pod. Thank you. And if you've been hanging out with us on Thursday nights in our live YouTube channel then welcome back. And if it's your first time, just remember that we'd love to hear from you, whether you're on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, participate in the live chat. And if you have a comment or question specifically for us that you want us to address, then remember to type in capital P, capital O, capital D, capital pod in the chat so that we can see your comment and address it. All right, let's get to it. Here is our Star Trek Lower Decks premiere review and reaction. This premiere episode is titled Second Contact, was written by showrunner Mike McMahon and directed by Barry J. Kelly. Now, if you're new here, you're probably familiar with other podcasts giving their hot takes on things, but since this is Star Trek Discovery Pod, we don't give you hot takes. No, we don't. We give you hot freaks. Hot freaks! There it is. All right, who's freaking first? Uh, I can go first. Um, so I loved it. Uh, I thought it was a super fun show. I think it plays off nicely with some traditional Trek themes, but it's giving us a different perspective. Um, I really appreciate the fact that it's sort of taking things that are familiar to us. So taking the A and B plots that we've normally seen throughout Trek and making them the D, E, F plots and everything else that's going on in the background is happening before us. And I think it's such a clever way to bring us into a different part 
of this universe. I think it's a clever way to find humor and make this a comedy show while still holding true to lots of canon. I thought all the references were hilarious and really fun Easter eggs for everybody involved. And, um, you know, I watched it twice today. And on the second watch, you see even more Easter eggs that are sort of hidden around uh, for you to find. And I'm really loving the dynamic between uh, Mariner and uh, Boyman, which is going to be the Boimler, which is going to be the hardest name for me to say because that ML combo, I don't know what it is. I've been saying it wrong all day. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't work for you. Doesn't work for me, but I'll get there. So B-Boy. So B-Boy and Mariner are a great dynamic. Um, It's very Kirk Spock in feeling for me in that there is someone who is a little wild, someone who's a little bit more by the books, and we're going to get to see different facets of that. So overall, I really liked it. I also thought it was a fairly successful pilot, um, which are very difficult to pull off, and you're trying to introduce a ton of characters, but I thought they did that well. Everyone does fit into an archetype, but again, we're just getting introduced to these characters. It's the very first episode. Um, So I'm excited to see where it goes. Right. Who's next? I'll jump in and say I'm probably in a little bit more of a wait and see. Um, I liked it. I don't know that I loved it yet, Um, but I think that's, I'm going to need a few episodes to really see where we get to. Um, I agree with you, Mariah. I thought the pilot was was successful. I like the four of them. Um, and I don't know that we really got to see the four of them together a whole bunch. Um, but I kind of like their their interaction, their dynamic. It It doesn't necessarily feel to me like it fits with the rest of canon. But that's okay. Um, it feels like it's this is something different. It's its own thing, but a part of it at the same time. It, and it, I kind of walked away feeling like, you know what? This is for a particular crowd that might not necessarily have watched TNG, for instance. Um, and let's see where they go with it. So, so I, I overall, I, I was pleased. Um, it, I, I was. I, I wanted to know whether or not it was going to remind me uh, of Rick and Morty, and it does, um, in a good way. And so I think that that is going to be interesting for Trek fans. I think that that tone, that vibe is going to be pretty interesting. Okay, I want to go next because, Clyde, you and I are pretty much the uh, the old school Trek fans. I know, Mariah, you're, you're into the 90s Voyager stuff, but C- Clyde and I have been deep in TNG. Uh, deep into ds9 like Just and this i couldn't watch it on first run does not mean <laughs> and this I is was not physically able <laughs> you were alive and uh <laughs> this this show is kind of i think it is for us it is for the tng group because um this takes place in the uh in the tng timeline and um well there there are a lot of things i liked about it i had a great time with this i thought it was really funny it was very Star Trek, but I absolutely love that it's doing its own thing and it's telling its own story. This is maybe the most confident Star Trek premiere I've ever seen. Like it really knew what it was doing. Um, and this premiere episode, it showed that the that this show can do a pretty solid job of balancing two really important but very conflicting tones. Like, it still has enough of that sincerity 
optimism and idealism that's been at the heart of Star Trek for more than 50 years. But it successfully integrates that snappy, satirical humor of modern day comedies. And like besides the characters and most of the jokes and references, which made all of this so fun, there were okay, there were three things that I really loved. First, I I kind of can't overstate how much I appreciate workplace comedies about smart, competent underappreciated people. I think most of us can relate to this. And I think that Lower Decks is kind of telling the story of us as a people right now. Because like most of us, okay, I'm taking this a little too far, but Mm. hear me out. (laughs) This Star Trek cartoon is about all of us. Okay. Most of us are like competent, skilled, kind, decent people who work hard. Most of us? To make our lives and the world better. All four of us, yes. I'm talking about most of us in the world. Oh, okay, okay. So we're all good people. We're working hard to make the world better, but we are constantly being undermined by the dipshits in charge. And that's kind of what this show is all about. So hell yes to this show for acknowledging that, right? Uh, Second, on this podcast, we often talk about the darker side of the Federation and how sometimes on Star Trek... The Federation can be kind of act like the Empire from Star Trek or Star Wars, like not ruthless or evil, but definitely omnipresent, like all over the galaxy, bureaucratic, homogenized. And in this episode, Lower Decks definitely, I thought, acknowledged that and leans into that a little bit for some of the best comedy bits. Especially when we see um, the senior staff of the Cerritos through the perspective of the Lower Decks crew, especially Mariner. And we clearly see that the senior staff kind of let their positions go to their head, even if the support staff is more skilled than they are in certain aspects. So, hell yes to that. Uh, Third, another thing I love about Star Trek are the adventure stories. And this one is definitely, this episode definitely had a fun, super weird a sci-fi adventure and in the case of the zombie plague breakout or the rage virus that sci-fi adventure was also wrapped into this cute little romantic story that told us so much about the characters that was great it did double duty so yeah this is definitely going to be a bright spot for me over the next few months as a trek fan that being said, I think a lot of the trailers and the promo clips were all taken from this first episode, and that kind of dampened some of the jokes and scenes for me a little bit because I'd seen them. So I'm looking forward to seeing stuff I haven't seen before uh, with the new episodes. So, yeah, I'm all in. Well, I guess I'll round it out then and say I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a really fun, solid pilot episode. For any new listeners that we might have, I am probably the least familiar with the world of Trek of the four of us. And what I probably, I'm definitely, (laughs) I'm definitely the least familiar. Uh, What I appreciate uh, about this episode was that there seems to be very little barrier to entry for this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have to understand a lot of how the world is constructed. I know they're on a spaceship they're going to make second contact with uh, an alien species. These people are the underlings and there's a, a social hierarchy on this ship. Like that's about it. There's, there's aliens. It's, it's a fun ex- exploration. I remember when we were watching Picard, 
I had to keep going, okay, wait, who are these people? I don't know what a Romulan is. What's the guy with a spoon in the head? And uh, how are these talking uh, doctor holograms? I, I, I didn't get a lot of things that seemed to be like, oh, you, you, you would have understood this had you already watched all this other Trek. So this one is... It's, it's straightforward. It has a very familiar energy and vibe. I, I already like Rick and Morty. Um, and this very much feels of that aesthetic and um, just tonally, it, it's mimicking this, this high energy, uh, rapid paced dynamic of, of all these characters uh, bouncing off of each other. For the most part, I think all of the characters feel pretty realized and I get a good sense of who they are. Maybe Rutherford is the one that I still was a little bit like, I don't really know who this this person is or or how they fit in yet. But everyone else, I get it. I, I get that type of character and what they're going to lend to the whole dynamic of the group. And overall, I, I thought that more happens in this episode then in TNG episodes that you guys have had me watch <laughs> that are so slow and boring at times and just, oh, that is uh, Mike. Mike cut his mic. They're off. really walking slowly down that hallway and giving knowing but, glances or whatever. But they're having know. the deep conversations on yes. TNG. Maybe they're not having them on Lower Decks. We'll and get th- and that. that's one of the things I've, I've seen people complain about. And I'm sure we can discuss this more in length, but... I know that the the tone of this show, because it's going sillier, zanier, more comedic, uh, it's kind of bending the laws of physics. And like, especially when Boimler's getting sucked in and out of the spider's mouth as like a little pacifier <laughs> thing. Like that's that's not fitting in the tone of Star Trek that we know. So it's obviously a bit of of parody. It feels much more in line with like Galaxy Quest or. Um, what was the Seth MacFarlane one that's been going on? The Orville. Orville. The Oracle. The Orville. 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 <laughs> right. Um, so I, I see it just being a little bit more uh, slapstick, silly humor there. But it, it's fun. And if you can kind of take a step back from worrying about how this tonal this tonally fits into the world of Trek, I think it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. Right. I, I think that when I say it, it doesn't quite fit track but it but it's accepted i think that's what i'm saying like the tone when we when we think of track right from to from tos to tng to voyager to deep space nine to enterprise to there i said it enterprise um to the movies it i mean it's different so those are dramas those, those have action it has a slower tone it's it's focused but they've all tried to give us a sense of possibility of what the future could be, almost as ideal state. Um, this thing that we can hope for. This isn't that, and that's okay. But it it is a shift. I think you're 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 dead on, Grant. It is more like the Orville. It is more like Galaxy Quest, where it's like, you know, and Mike, to your point. We're not used to seeing Trek with incompetence, right? When you think about Trek, some of the most incompetent people on Trek are people who have been largely lovable, like Barkley, right? Like, these are the people who have been kind of the incompetent ones. And and if you're really incompetent, then you die. So I, I think this is different, but it's fascinating to me because we are looking at 
um, kind of people early in their career, which is super exciting. Like it's a show about ensigns who have different kind of thoughts about their career. I think the dynamic between Mariner and her, you know, parents, her mom, and the fact that she's incredibly knowledgeable, but yet a goof off is, is super fascinating. I mean, there's something interesting here, but it, it, it is not like the others. And that's okay. I think it I think it is aspirational and like you mentioned Galaxy Quest, you mentioned the Orville, these are all satirical stake uh uh-huh. satirical takes on Star Trek and so is this obviously although this is in canon. Those other the Orville and uh Galaxy Quest also were Im- are imbued with that sense of hope, aspiration and idealism and I think that is still here. But the difference here with Lower Decks is that it is zeroed in on character and character development because we're watching these Lower Decks try to um, aspire, you know, to being one of them wants to be captain, another one wants to be chief medical officer. So we're seeing their um, personal and career progression and development. And to me, that's aspirational. I think maybe to someone younger watching this, that's aspirational. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, I, I love the comedy. I love the animation, the performances, the the Easter eggs, the references. And we do have a section. Uh, we do have a segment on Easter eggs in a little bit. And I especially love the character development. I think this show is all about the perspective and the personal professional development of these four Lower Decks characters. And I think this show is likely to be one of the most character-driven Star Trek series we've ever gotten. And that's super exciting and pretty different since a lot of other Star Trek arguably puts concept over character a lot. So I love that. To your point, Clyde, one thing I don't love is based solely on this premiere. It's all I've seen. We might be missing out on the big idea conversations on this show, but I did see a... I didn't see any like social or political commentary or intriguing philosophical debate going on. I didn't really expect it either. Um, but I guess that's okay. Cause since this is a comedy um, or maybe that heavier stuff will come later when the series gets its feet wet a little, but I think lower decks does impart themes of aspiration of believing in yourself, the value of friendship and diversity and all that good stuff is there in this first episode. And I think it's just going to build. So I think that's good enough for, for right now. Yeah. You know, I had a a conversation with my spouse earlier because he was very like, Oh, this is very different Trek. You know, he's sort of like the shock of the first episode of discovery, you know, like we started with a mutiny, which is very strange for Trek. Right. So this is familiar territory for all of us. Um, And, you know, he was saying most Trek episodes are some sort of morality play, right? But we're now having to condense any concepts and like bigger issues into 22 minutes because these are shorter animated series. And so I think it's going to be less big issues and more those smaller interpersonal dynamics that we're going to see in this show. And I think we already see it developing, especially with Mariner, who is someone who's obviously gone up ranks and then has to come back down because she didn't maybe like the pressure at the top, you know, like this is like something that remains to be seen. But to me, the big moral of this particular episode was like, you have to figure out where your own 
moralities lie and where your own boundaries are. And I think we saw that with each character in this episode because Mariner is the one who's testing, like Boimler. I'm going to get it right eventually. Boimler. And, um, and, and seeing where his sort of um, loyalties lie. Like, is it going to be with him uh, with her and with the rest of the the lower decks crew, or is he just going to be like a boot kisser who wants to just move up? And in the end, he decides like, well, there's a little bit of of both. And I think of it even, you know, we just reviewed Into Darkness, where we saw Spock and Kirk sort of going through a similar thing. Like Kirk shouldn't have rescued Spock out of the volcano, and Spock filed the report because he's the rule book boy. Um, and they were both right. And in this essence, both Boimler and Mariner were also both right. Because while Mariner did technically break the rules, she wasn't harming anybody. And so I think to me, their storyline is probably going to have the most sort of like moral of the story sort of going on. But we also saw it with, um, sorry, I'm learning everybody's names. I was like Pillboy. Rutherford. <laughs> Pill Bo- Rutherford. Pillboy. <laughs> Uh, Rutherford is figuring out what he wants out of a relationship being on a, on a ship. And so he went on with this seemingly action-packed, amazing date, but then he realized he just wants someone who's just as into their job as he is. Um, and, and then we, uh, get to see Ensign Tendi, who, you know, sort of seems a little gung-ho. Maybe she could get a little starry-eyed at the top of this episode, but she jumps in and starts pumping a heart. And and by the end of it has had like the best day ever. And so she's kind of that uh, perpetual optimism. And so I think that'll be interesting to see how that ebbs and flows through with her throughout the series. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree. The uh, the characterizations of these lower of this lower deck decks crew and how they relate to each other and how they change each other and the bond of that friendship that they're forming that's really the meat of this story, I think. Yeah, I, I like that, Mike. I also, I also like the fact that 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 bond on the first day, like if you've ever been, especially like you know, right out of school when you start working, um, and it's if it's you and some other new people, like that bond of being new, um, and maybe having a really exciting day, and it's kind of chaotic but you you all kind of experience it together. That's the stuff that forms bonds for a lifetime. Those are the things that I really resonated. Mike, you called this kind of a uh, an office, uh, kind of an, an, a workplace, a workplace comedy. comedy. Yeah. Like The Office. Uh, yeah, and and I think I think that is something that's new. I I don't know that I would have ever referred to Star Trek as a workplace anything. Um, but but it's kind of interesting to see what it's like in these other places. I think I read somewhere um, that said this is the show that lets you know what happens in the life of those people who typically we see get sucked out when there's a hole breach. Um, and, and, but I want to know that. I want to know what the other half kind of lives like. I, I think I'm a little surprised that the command crew is so just uh, a little arrogant it, it, there are a lot of things yeah but to your i think to, to your other point what we get is we get a focus on really about four characters 
And I don't know that we've ever had that before either. And so that's exciting because it it hones in. There's really nobody else to like, right? We'll get a couple pieces here, but we get four characters that we really get to grow with from their first day on the job. That does feel a little office-like to me, and that is exciting. Well, I mean, we don't... It was only the first episode. We don't know what the what we're really supposed to make of the upper deck crew. They're portrayed a little bit like, you know, there, there's competition, there's arrogance, which I think in climbing any sort of social ladder, you're going to encounter people that are going to butt heads like that. But, you know, from my exposure to the world of Trek in other iterations, I've seen these strong personality types in the other shows as well. And there's going to be people that are a little bit more cocky or uh, people that um, ignore good advice or, or overlook the, the people below them at times. And I think, I don't know, it, it felt kind of natural to me. I, I was impressed seeing the cat doctor who seems like so adept at what, what they do that they were immediately able to um, assess that the, the spider slime was going to be able to be used as uh, a remedy for the zombie <laughs> spider cow slime, spider, spider cow, cow slime. slime. I, um, I loved that line when he's like, my bones hurt. And he's like, or Mariner's just like, we'll just get back on the ship and they'll zap you with a light. You'll be fine. Like, oh, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she'll, she'll wave a light over you. You're, yeah. He'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, so some things are like, are kind of done a little like tongue in cheek. What I wanted to ask you guys though about was the the zombie outbreak that that story point and how rapidly it overtakes things. I mean, when it's first introduced, we're we're seeing it in the background of the date that Rutherford's on, and the humor of that situation is that this is going on, and it seems not that out of the realm or not unexpected to the point where Rutherford's like, ah, let's just keep going with the day. This is just another day here on the starship where things go crazy wacky like this. Someone will figure it out. Um, yeah, that, but that's how I took it. Like, what what'd you guys think of the, the zombie? Virus? I thought it was really funny. And it reminded me of the opening credits of this series, which are really hilarious because you, you, you know, it starts out just like uh, TNG, and then the ship gets caught up in the slipstream, and it gets hit by all these meteors. And then uh, uh, the zombie attack, when Rutherford continues his date on the attack, reminded me specifically of the the shot in the credits where the Cerritos comes upon the uh, the Borg fight and just quickly turns around. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. because no, thank you. <laughs> Because like like Rutherford and his date during the zombie outbreak, they're not the heroes. They're not the leaders. So they're just like like we're we're all working from home for the most part. So when I'm on a conference call and I'm not on video at work and the higher ups are talking about something that is a big problem but kinda has nothing to do with me and I know they're gonna figure it out, I'll tune out and I kinda just keep doing my own thing. That's kinda what they were doing. And uh, they really didn't get involved until they really had to. And that just goes back to how I'm relating to this as a workplace comedy and being like, uh, not necessarily, I'm not necessarily a lower deck where I work, but I'm not a manager either. I'm kind of in the middle, you know, so I have those 
superiors that are definitely had their had their heads up their asses like some of these um some of these command crew members do um so yeah i think that whole zombie thing was was mostly about that and plus there's a long joke of them continuing the date while they're doing this and getting to know each other and it also led to that really really beautiful um spacewalk that they did on on the hull of the ship that was really nice yeah you just gotta remember to turn your magnets on (laughs) (laughs) what if i forget to turn my magnets on i think you know mariah you were touching on this a bit as well but the character of mariner when the captain requests that boimler shadow her and make notes of her i was already going oh okay i bet I bet it's a relationship thing. I bet that's the mom. I was wondering if, if you guys had also kind of already suspected that and how, how much more informative it is of that character. Cause like when we're introduced to her, the fact that she's just kind of pushing everything aside and, and trivializing the work that they do drinking on the ship and <laughs> playing with the, uh, the Klingon, axe thing that slices his leg that left yes oh man when they they cut in you see bone <laughs> and, and meat. yes so those good. things are very sharp but uh but the fact that like she's not taking everything seriously despite what we've already seen in this first episode that she's extremely capable and knowledgeable and effective she's she's just fighting destiny at this point she has two parents that are clearly extremely high, highly ranked and she is dragging her heels because she doesn't want to fall into the inevitable position of, of being a leader among Starfleet. Um, yeah, I thought it was really fascinating. I was kind of, I was, I was curious if you guys had caught on that, like she was going to be the, that family relationship right there. You know, it's interesting that you say that Grant, I, I caught it on, I caught on to it later, not, not early, but what, what I saw when I saw her was, um, I think someone earlier said it was kind of Kirk-esque. And, you know, we've been going back and watching different kind of episodes of different things. And if we hadn't rewatched the Kelvin universe, that wouldn't have made any sense to me. Because typically, like I say, when you look at the rest of the series, everybody's pretty straight-laced. Even your rebel, your, your rebellious ones, right? Like your Rikers and your, your prime Kirk are... While they're rebellious, they still fit into this, I'm, you know, I've got duty and honor. But Kelvin Universe, kind of the Chris Pine Kirk, is, like, really rebellious. It's like, I don't care about the rules. That's who she embodies to me. And and that was kind of endearing, right? Like, it it wasn't like, I hate everybody. It was, I kind of know what's right. And I'm cutting through the bureaucracy and the red tape, and I'm gonna I'm gonna zero in on doing these things. Like I didn't think she was like selling weapons to aliens or anything like that, and so I knew there was that she was doing something. But that's who it is, and so I think she's easy to identify with. And so then, as I started to think about that, then it made sense that there was a relationship there that was greater. So the minute that he starts to not tell her, tell the captain who, you know, that she she kind of, you know, screwed up. Then I was like, you know what? I think I see this now. And I think that's when I started to think it might be her mother right before the reveal because it had to be a personal relationship. 
just like you, if you think about like um, kind of Kirk and um, oh man, um, uh, Spock, Pike, Pike, oh, Pike. 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 I don't know. <laughs> I, yes, I, I, I like yeah. that it was her mother because it really tempered the idea that the captain is has more villain tendencies than we're used to, but she doesn't. She just is really disappointed in her daughter and has tons of reasons not to trust her. And that is a, a much richer, fertile ground for storytelling here than just the captain being a jerk. Right. And it makes me wonder if the captain is the captain overall a, a problem and a jerk or is her relationship with her daughter, a blind spot, a, a problem area where she would deviate against her, her normal standards and have Boimler go, you know, keep tabs on her or whatever. and otherwise, and, and maybe that's why she doesn't even include Boimler giving props to him and lower decks for what they did because it's associated with her daughter and she just doesn't want to deal with that. Yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, I actually, so when they run into sickbay and they're sort of like firing on the zombies, the, um, you know, Captain Freeman and Mariner take like the same pose as they're like shooting. Right. And, and between that and sending um, Boimler out, I was like, ooh, if they don't reveal it this episode, my official weird prediction is going to be that that's her parent. <laughs> um, and then they beat me to it but um (laughs) yeah i'm i'm excited about kind of seeing that sort of lineage thing because we don't we haven't really seen that very much before in that there is someone who comes from an admiral and a captain and is trying to you know i'm sure at one point she probably was trying to work her way up and i wonder if we're going to get some moments in her character where people are like oh this is all because of your mommy and daddy you know like mm-hmm. you have parents in high places you can get what you want and so i think that probably feeds into her rebellion because it's like if your parents are already where you want to be eventually as an adult and you are already like a really smart capable person you know it's like when bor usually kids who are bored in the classroom are like the troublemakers, you know, cause they just don't have enough to do. And I definitely see that in her character. Yeah. That's who Mariner is. And Tawny Newsom is so funny. Um, she Mariner and Tawny Newsom, the way Tawny Newsom plays his character has enough personality to fill the entire show herself. Like it's yep. so such a big character. Um, but it works because at the end she embraces the other three Lower Decks crew members, and then you start to really like them because she's liking them. And you want to see them all get along and, and, and grow that friendship. But yeah, if, it, if this show was just really about Mariner and her, her parent issues, I would totally watch it. It's That character is so fascinating to me now. So jumping over to the, the rest of our little foursome, I mean, Boimler, I get he's he's kind of the straight man who's going to be nervous about a lot of the relationships. And we, we know that uh, Tendi's going to be the the optimist who is excited about everything going on and is going to be happy with the most outrageous of events. Um, she got to hold a heart. Rutherford, he, he I'm I'm guessing, is going to wedge into the um, uh, extremely useful 
uh, like mastermind who can, who can, he's like forge. He can like just make whatever and, um, have that at the ready for if they need whatever he can construct or build. He's, he's some sort of science officer, right? Engineering. Uh, Um, he has a, uh, an optical, um, implant cyborg Mm -hmm. implant. And they make mention that it is Vulcan. Is that right? Is it mm-hmm. Vulcan? Yeah, that's why it suppresses his emotions. And so somehow how that thing is installed in him, it's suppressing emotions. I mean, however that's supposed to work, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the fact that it's kind of toggling back and forth, um, I don't know. At, at, at points, I, I thought it was funny. At other points, I was kind of, I don't know. It, it seemed distracting from certain events that happened, I think, w- with the timing of some of those jokes for me. And so it's kind of like, ah, how am I liking this? Or am I going to be annoyed? I don't know. Yeah, I'm hoping they'll find some some clever ways for it to sort of uh, be used as humor points throughout the show. Because I actually really liked the first um, like introduction to to Rutherford when he is like, oh, you know, like, I think I'm nervous about it, but I can't tell. And then Mariner's like, oh, let me fix that for you. And then he goes down just like a spiral of anxiety. Like, I found that fairly funny. Um, but yeah, during the date when he all of a sudden just sort of like switches into to Vulcan mode. Um, but in my mind, I'm thinking about it like if you got a brand new phone and you're still like getting it to have all the shortcuts you want and like everything all set up, you know, it's like he's still figuring it out. Um you know, and I wanted to to make just an observation about the bridge crew and the fact that, you know, all of these are sort of like the caricature version of the bridge crews we've seen before. But I have to wonder if the reason they feel even like extra arrogant is this like they want the opportunity to get onto the the better ships, right? Like they're on the second contact ship, which is probably like where you have to go prove yourself before you can go and like be on a ship that's on a five-year mission. And so it's this like constant one upping that I think has to happen. So I think that'll be really entertaining to see along the way um, as, as we move forward. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I I, I was thinking about the um, kind of the cyborg implant scene as well. And it reminded me of a bit of kind of data, so when Data got his emotion chip, so kind of in the reverse, and he was experiencing all these these things, in the heat of the moment, he, he would turn it off. He'd be like, you know, Data, now's a good time to turn it off. And he would kind of switch his neck and, and then turn it off. But here, because it's lower decks, it's like, no, I want to feel all the craziness. Um, and so I thought, I said, that's, to me, set the tone that this is going to be different. Um and uh, yeah, and I, so I, I thought it was a kind of a, a good way to introduce that. One of my favorite moments with Rutherford was when he's on the date and he's talking to the Trill and that he's dating. And she's like, you're an engineering. That must be pretty exciting. He's like, no, I just uh, I just fixed the uh, replicators all day. Oh, do those break a lot? Only when you get food in them. Just, it's a good corny date joke. <laughs> just all the time. And I like that uh, at the beginning, Boimler is fixing the uh, the replicator and it just keeps spitting out warm bananas. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Banana, hot. Banana, hot. <laughs> so what did you guys joke. think of the design of the ship? 
in relation to you know previous I, ships. I think it's just goofy as fuck, and I love it. Does it look clunky? It's doing its own like thing. These, these two parts going into the it, bottom. It looks like it belongs in that era of Star Trek, mm-hmm. the TNG era. Um, but it also looks like they got the C team to design it, which is totally appropriate for this show. Yeah, it's the California uh, like grade ships or whatever, and. Yeah. Uh, I think the interiors look really cool and in the um I don't know if y'all watched the the like behind the scenes thing that Will Wheaton hosts um the the ready room ready that's room. what it's called yeah so he did an interview uh with uh Mike uh Mahan and um the assistant director I think from this episode I can't remember his name I didn't get to finish it before the the pod but they were talking about specifically animating to fit into the trek world and how the ship couldn't just look like a cartoon ship it needed to look like a star trek ship that somehow fit into the animated style that they were using so they were more retrofitting the animation to be more like trek for specifically for the ship and um he was saying the interiors are very much based on uh tng and uh they they worked with some of the production and creative team from the original TNG days to sort of match a lot of those things like the carpet and the way that the door panels look and how the different panels on the ceiling on the bridge turn red when they're under a red alert and like they're very detail oriented (laughs) so yeah we'll we'll get into a little bit of that with the um, the easter eggs but uh, let's talk about some of these Rick and Morty comparisons because before today I think we all figured lower decks would be incessantly compared to Rick and Morty, not only because of McMahon's involvement, but also the animation style, the irreverent tone. And most TV critics I follow are already calling this a watered down Rick and Morty and giving it like middling to bad reviews, mostly because of that comparison. Like some critics are even, uh, some critics are even calling Lord Dick's, irrelevant in the age of rick and morty Who and are you following stop following them <laughs> dumb dumbs this is alan Seppenwall, bro and oh. i i can kind of see where they're coming from but My i think it's alan pretty clear that lower decks is made for a you know the rick and morty audience can definitely enjoy this but it's also made for a broader audience i mean i love rick and morty but sometimes i want that intelligent irreverent pg-13 trending towards r humor of rick and morty without that overt crushing cynicism and that bleakness and lower decks is the answer to that i think it's it works i i mean i see it like i in fact i was gonna say right before you brought this up that this is the animation studio i think you brought up last week yeah that actually works on like venture brothers yeah but what I was seeing was a lot of kind of stylistic choices that felt a lot more in line with Rick and Morty, especially on the alien planet, like how they were depicting the landscape of the alien planet and the aliens all felt much more familiar to like uh, the style that I've seen on Rick and Morty than in, in anything in venture brothers or uh, I guess other Titmouse projects. So I, I was thinking the inspiration there was a little bit more Rick and Morty influenced. That said, I mean, I I agree that the energy level definitely matches that of Rick and Morty and a little bit of more of the, I mean, I don't know. I guess there's a little bit of blue humor 
uh, in like, you know, naked butts and whatever. Uh, but it, it never seems to, it, it doesn't go for gross out shock, um, low brow 13 year old humor, which like Rick and Morty balances that with like really smart humor really well in a really rapid pace, which is why it's got such a good appeal, you know, unfortunately across the board and you have to deal with some, some of that audience as well that you don't, you you know, you wish you didn't. So maybe this is a good thing that it doesn't have as much of that immature appeal so that we in the Star Trek audience won't have to deal with that subsection of Rick and Morty fans. Yeah. I I think the thing about Rick and Morty is it's going to take it pretty far, right? So every time I turn on Rick and Morty, I'm, immediately just conscious of who's in the room tensed <laughs> right like it's 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 just one of those things where the jokes the humor even the visual effects the, it's it's almost always on a 10 right if it's not on a 10 it's on an 8 getting ready to go to a 10 and if they apply that tonage to to star trek i think one it probably would break star trek and the backlash would be immense, right? Because you can't have all of all of those types of jokes. The Mike, to your point, the cynicism, the the negativity that kind of Rick brings in. You know, you know. Th- there's an episode of Rick and Morty where he literally f- he has a child with a planet, like. He does. <laughs> <laughs> like, that doesn't work in Star Trek. And so to say it's watered down, to that I would say, yes. And it's supposed to be. Because the tone here is different. You've got this source material that is that is very specific and, and a little bit formal. And at times, it can be a little stuffy. And so I think the fact that they've been able to take it as far as they, they can without breaking it is probably actually admirable right to get this this type of tone from something that has been you know the west wing of sci-fi is important i mean it's it's it, you know congratulations to being able to do that and not break it yeah i think a lot of like I, i'm glad you brought up like the west wing of sci-fi cuz i almost think of this as like the uh less irreverent veep of star trek like you know what i mean like it's the well workplace yes. drama where everything mm-hmm. is like a little extreme but you know and and some people are talking about um uh Kuhn was talking about the olympic training facility scene which was like really quick and funny and i think if you pair that and then the spider cow um those were like the two only little like peppering in of things that made me think of Rick and Morty. And I don't know if it's just because anything that's like wet and drooly just automatically <laughs> makes me think of Rick and Morty. Cause I feel like everything is just covered in moist liquid <laughs> goop on Rick and Morty. Yeah. I have not watched a lot of Rick and Morty cause it's really not, it's not my cup of tea. I find it to take me to 
Like at the end of this episode, I felt really nice. I wanted to have another cup of coffee. Like it was a delight to start my day. Whereas if I watch Rick and Morty, I just want to go crawl back under the bed because I realize that the world is terrible. Rick and Morty <laughs> has been bumming me out in 2020. Like I stopped watching right. the new season because it's it's great, but it's bumming me out. Right. And like, I think if um if this show went to those dark, like cynical, nope. gross extremes. I think Alex Kurtzman would need to hide out in a bunker somewhere for about 10 years because the fans would murder him. Yeah. And I think the like those tone pieces that are very Rick and Morty-esque, the anything with goop is just going to be that for me. But um, they were funny and not just gross. Like, (laughs) because like the the thing. So I'm going to just say the cow spider. Spider. Anyone has ever worked with cattle? That happens. They want to suck on your hand. It's a real thing. (laughs) Or you have to shove your hand up another end because that's what you need to do when you're raising cattle. So There's so much I don't know about Mariah. There's just... (laughs) Just the idea that this giant spider... I'm just saying, they make gloves that go up to here for a reason, and it has to do with cows. So, like... Sometimes. Most of the time. (laughs) So I'm just saying, I thought it was, (laughs) as someone whose father grew up on a cattle farm, that whole scene to me was very funny. Very, very funny. Let's talk about favorite moments in this episode before we dive into some of the Easter eggs. I really liked Mariner giving her Starfleet cred spiel to Boimler on the planet. when she's like, ever been trapped in a sentient cave? That's a dark place that knows things. And she talks about the, she was in a Klingon prison and the Yeti stole her shoe because he's a dick. I love how she freely admits that being Starfleet puts you in all these fucked up situations and can kind of fuck you up in the head. Like she seems, she's seen some shit. And I love that. You know, there's a, I was struggling with this scene for a while. But we have this great date with Rutherford, right? So, I mean, it's weird, but they're in the middle and you're like, wow. Like, if you've ever been on a first date that has just been great, you know what I mean? Like, like there's all types of first dates that have been terrible. But if you've ever been on a first date where you're like, wow, this is, I can't believe it's going this well. And then it just kind of turns on a dime, like at the last minute. that is what I was kind of looking at with Rutherford. Like he's having this great date there. She's like, you know, I'm right there with you. And then she doesn't get something that's kind of fundamental about him, something that drives him. And then it's over. Like it's just, it's done. And I was like, that's, that's pretty interesting. Like that was an interesting place to take it. I didn't know we were going there, um, but I really like that. And what I like about that one is, we usually see that that type of relationship scenario from the flip side where you have everything going great and then that person that you think is great suddenly loses interest in the most mundane thing that you can't possibly understand and they just become an asshole and you're like, oh man, it turned out that this person was not into me. They were into how elevators work or something like that. <laughs> Instead, it's it's him, and we're supposed to sympathize with the fact that he completely lost focus and, and attention on where he was in that like on that date with her because he wanted to talk about whatever was on the elevator. Well, I mean, yeah. we are 
we're four people who are currently doing a podcast about an animated Star Trek TV show. What? Right. I'm I'm just saying, if anybody's been in the situation where there's something that you're passionate about, that a date might go, what the hell? Like, it's us. So... <laughs> I I I, can I, mean, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. I like that that whole thing set up his potential uh, love, cute love romance with uh, Tendi. Tendi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's into she's into the how the turbo lifts work too. Uh, Mariah, what did you? What was your favorite part? Yeah. Oh man, I think I liked the the tour of the ship because I think that's something that we don't get to see on any other show because you're having to move from set to set. Whereas this one, they get to just like animate whatever they want. And so I thought that was just a funny, like back and forth. And we also got to know so much about um, Boimler and Mariner in that aspect where she's like, this is a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. And he's like, no, this is really important. You know Um, I thought that was great. And then I also just really enjoyed the very last scene where they all just kind of like squat down in front of the wall covered in black slime, pink slime, like whatever. And, uh, you know, and everyone's like, "Woof, what a what a crazy first day. But then Ensign Tendi is just like, I got to hold a heart. Today was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was really cute. Um, And then I know we were supposed to only pick one. I really like the whole episode, so it's hard. No, Um, no. That's that's what my kids do. They go like, oh, I'm like, what's your favorite part of the day? And they go, everything. I'm like, that's not the answer. (laughs) Well, then my final favorite scene is uh, was the bar because we get just like rapid fire Trek, uh, you know, call outs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well. Mariah, I was just joking. You, it was okay. You did that, Mariah. <laughs> Mariah, I like what you said about the tour because I think when we watch Trek, the warp core is supposed to be this really magnificent scene, right? It's like, wow, it's set up that the engineering kind of department is always like, that's the coolest part of the ship. But if we're honest, right, the holodeck, which they rarely use, would be the first place we'd all want to go. Right. Right. You'd be like, yeah, the warp core is going to be there. But this holodeck, <laughs> I could be anywhere. And I love how Mariner's like, you can make porn here. Like, really easy. <laughs> <laughs> like, super easy. <laughs> like, they okay. straight up show, like, the, the dudes working out all naked. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to see the Olympics are still happening in whatever this star date is, you know. <laughs> okay, now it's time for a new segment. Designed specifically for Lower Decks. It's called Mike Fails at Pointing Out All the Easter Eggs in Lower Decks. Easter Eggs. Okay, so I'm going to list all the references and Easter Eggs I caught without looking online for a list or whatever. I will say that our Patreon Slack pointed out a few of these to me that I didn't already have. So props to them. Thank you for that. All right, here we go. Uh, The main theme features notes and nods to obviously iconic past Star Trek themes by Alexander Courage, Jerry Goldsmith, James Horner, kind of like the TNG theme, the motion picture theme is kind of there too, obviously. Uh, The entire opening credit sequence, it's a riff on the 90s style of TNG and uh, Voyager and DS9 shows. Very much like that. Um, Where the ship comes in this way, and then it goes in this way, (laughs) and then this way, and it turns around. And the blue font. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Also, in the opening credits, we see a, a, a Borg attack and the Cerritos promptly retreats, of course. I'm not going to point out every single thing. but uh, In the opening scene, Mariner is drunk, drunkenly swinging a Klingon uh, Batleff. Whoa, that doesn't work. <laughs> that is a Batleff. Mm-hmm. I will move the branding. There we go. So, yeah, that's a Klingon Batleth. Obviously, we first saw Worf use one. We see Klingons use these all throughout uh, 90s Star Trek. And in this scene, Mariner also men- mentions that she got the Batleth from a guy with an eye patch. And since they're docked at a Federation space station, they could be docked at DS9, which could mean that she got the Batleth from Martok who is a Klingon, who is missing an eye, who hangs out at DS9 all the time. And at, at this time, actually, he's the chancellor, I believe, of the Klingon Empire. So maybe Mariner would know that, and she wouldn't just call him the guy with the eye patch. Um, but she was also drunk, so maybe she didn't recognize him. They did say what the space station was in the opening, so I'll have to go back did and they? listen to it. Okay. Yeah. I could be wrong about that one. Uh, Boimler mentions that the Cerritos has a cetacean ops section, which was a part of the Enterprise D in an alternate reality, but potentially never made canon in the prime reality till now. It was, it was referenced in TNG when they would talk about like whales being on the ship because Star Trek loves its whales. They love them. That's a, that's a deep one. Um, Ensign Barnes, the character that, um, uh, Rutherford goes out with is a trill like uh, mm-hmm. Jadzia Dex. We don't see a lot of trills on Star Trek. Oh, really, alienation, just, right? <laughs> exactly. Really, just the the Daxes. But I think we're going to see a lot more. This might be laying the groundwork for Disco Season Three because we're apparently going to see a lot of trills in Disco Season Three. So that's cool. So Mike, Mike, you went with Jadzia. What about Curzon? You couldn't go with Curzon. That you can't. It's hard to find a picture of Curzon. All right. I'm just saying. <laughs> Would you rather see Curzon than Jetsia, no. my friend, <laughs> on, on the screen here? Yeah, no. yeah. Um, let's see. Let's see. Oh, yeah. When they're on the away mission, they had the circular tube bags that they had in TNG. Like this Jeez. goofy body suits. Unfortunately, <laughs> they, they didn't have the blue shiny bodysuits that were looking at Are they at the now. X-Men? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they look Poor like the X-Men. man. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to make this bigger <laughs> so we can yeah, all enjoy you. that. All right. Uh, when the zombie, this is one that, uh, that the, uh, our listeners found when the zombie outbreak breaks out, the, the black slime mm-hmm. lands on one of the Vulcans in the shape of an evil goatee that makes him look like mirror you Spock from the original series. Oh, I thought nice. that was great. And, uh, yeah, somebody on the, on the Slack, uh, actually took this shot, this screenshot. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mariner mentions the Chadich, which is someone who fights on behalf of a Klingon uh, during like a specific legal challenge. We saw this in TNG when I believe Picard was Worf's Chadich in front of the Klingon High Council. Mm-hmm. That's pretty deep reference. And of course, at the end, Mariner mentions a bunch of TOS and TON. TNG folks and things like Khan with the Genesis device, uh, 
the space whales, which are either the whales from Star Trek Four or the I space whales <laughs> we saw on know Discovery. How I feel about these whales? Why are we still talking about these whales? Man? <laughs> because they're the it's, best. The whale thing's funny. I think maybe like Mariner was conflating like the space whales from dis- Disco with the whales from from Star Trek Four. Anyway, um, I don't know. She also mentioned Sh- Sulu, Spock, Kirk, Worf, Deanna Troy, and Deanna Troy's banging bod, and I particularly like. The nod to Gary Mitchell. Yeah, uh, who's since, that? Since Boimler, I think, says, I don't know that one. I think I need to look that one up, as do many people probably do, since he's not a super popular character, even though he it's a pretty important one in Star Trek canon in the TOS. So those are all my Easter eggs. If I got some of them wrong, or if you have any more, uh, let hold me know up. in the chat. Explain who Gary Mitchell is. He's <laughs> <laughs> that guy you see on screen. He was just a, uh, I believe he was a lieutenant on the on on the Enterprise with Kirk and TOS, and there was an episode in which he was just, I'm going to dumb this down a lot. He was just zapped by an alien entity, and he basically turned into an all-knowing, all-seeing god-type character who went crazy, and they had to kill him. So it's, yeah. a, it's the Phoenix saga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everything is X-Men or Lost, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a big X-Men theme going on in this episode, I've noticed. <laughs> kind of. Hey, I, here's a question for you guys about kind of the, the Easter eggs. When they mentioned Sulu's sword, mm-hmm. were they, did, Su, did the original Sulu have a sword? Yeah, I yeah, know yeah. saw it. Yeah, okay, okay. for sure. Yeah, yeah there's right. incredible screenshots of him shirtless with a sword. <laughs> yeah, if you guys want to pull out some of these comments... Um, because I think we did have some good comments here. Um, yes, early on, there were some comments coming in that were comparing me to a certain character. Oh man, are they gone now? I don't think I can scroll up to it. I think it's it's it was too early on in the episode. They were they were saying I was the the something or other character, and I had no idea what they were talking about. I was going to ask you guys. That okay, guys, if you're comparing Grant to somebody in the live chat, let us know who it was. It was right when we started, and I was like, what does that mean? I'm the... Yeah. Uh, Tanya is reminding me that Gary Mitchell and Kirk would, were good friends before they turned into adversaries. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, there is... I'm trying to find... Um. Mariah Boingler was covered in goo for a good part of the app. Yes, he was lo- lots and lots of goo. <laughs> Thanks, home chicky. <laughs> I'm looking at some of these Sulu pictures, and um, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know if it makes me more of a Sulu fan or less of a Sulu <laughs> fan. He looks absolutely insane. P.W. Gregory says Tendi is my favorite character so far. Who else can be so adorable, pumping someone's heart outside of their body? Agreed. <laughs> I was trying to figure out though why that guy was in sick bay because I was like everyone else was turning into zombies. He didn't seem to be turning in or you know going through the the rages. Um, I just figured they tore fine. his heart out. Yeah. Oh, but he was a victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that would make sense. I like this comment from Chupi. She says uh, she's talking about Rutherford, who has not experienced this. Also. Rutherford is having a hard time knowing how to feel. I think we have all been experiencing periods of this. Yep. Uh, she also added um, when we were talking about Mariner that um, 
that Mariner would be a, a blind spot for the captain uh, because moms, she knows moms like this and stuff they would not do professionally. They have that blind spot where they would act this way with their kids. Hmm. Exactly how right. it goes. Did anyone? Oh, here it is. <laughs> Who is Chad? Chadlick? Chadich. You just mentioned Chadich. that. Chadich. He just said that. it's a. Oh, you did? Yeah, it's, it's someone, someone who, who um, who fights on behalf of a Klingon warrior during a specific legal challenge. Yeah, they're yeah. saying you need a Chadish. I'm they're saying Chadish? Uh, no, you someone need... said Grant is the Chadish. <laughs> oh. Sure. Or needs one? Anyway. I, I will I, I guess I was offering to fight on someone else's behalf. <laughs> That Every is. time we pull up one of these questions, though, it bumps up our thing from the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're just... Look, I'm Jordy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like this uh, quote from Chupi Pod. There was a definite theme of think for yourself in this episode. Agree. For sure. Yeah. And bumping up against the, uh, the, the, the monolithic aspects of the Federation. For sure. And Sulu looks insane. Because he's the mirror universe Sulu. Thank you. Tony. Oh, that yeah, makes yeah, a yeah. lot of sense. <laughs> I just didn't see like the mustache and the the goatee I need for my mirror, my my mirror verse. <laughs> so that you know, it has to be so that I know evil, <laughs> the evil mustache. Okay, guys. Anything else you want to say about this episode of Lower Decks? And are you excited for episodes two through ten? Yeah, I, I'm super excited. And when they showed the this season on the lower decks there were a couple times where i like laughed out loud and so i'm i'm definitely excited about the rest of the season i think i'm gonna go back and rewatch one more time um and see how i feel but i'm i'm guessing by the time we get to about episode three i'm gonna be locked and loaded and fully fully on board it was great it's such a fun pilot episode and They've only just hit the surface of where they could explore with this type of format in the Star Trek universe. I think it's it's rife for this kind of um, storytelling and this comedic aspect playing on what what is such a, a cultural touchstone for so many people and bringing in a whole new audience to love what Trek does. I'm so on board for this. Yeah, I mean, this whole... Uh, show is about second contact which to me means I'm going to get a different alien world every episode which makes mm. me super stoked I'm really excited about seeing um, you know how we're going to animate and use that format to the advantage of not having to do a bunch of makeup and get some really fun outlandish looking aliens I'm stoked yeah I am all in for a Star Trek show about young uh, upstarts who are aspirational to the viewers. So I think, uh, I think it's going to be a great show. So thank you so much for joining the pod this week. Remember, you can find us live on YouTube every Thursday, Talking Trek, and of course, covering Lower Decks every single week. Go to StarTrekPod.co to subscribe, and go ahead and hit like on this video, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit that bell, boop, if that's still a thing. Is that a thing YouTubers do? (laughs) Smash that subscribe button, I think. (laughs) Also, just so y'all know, during uh, the month of July, we were raising funds through our Patreon and a donate link for the Okra Project and the Central Texas Food Bank. 
um, and we raised over $300 uh, last month. So uh, those donations will be made to those organizations. So thank you all so much for your contributions and for being Patreon supporters so that we can keep doing um, awesome good deeds for organizations that are doing good things in our universe. That is super awesome. Thank you guys so much. And uh, might I add that if you have not yet become a Patreon supporter and you would like to, you can go to patreon.com slash Star Trek pod to make your per episode pledge. As I mentioned at the top of this episode, we are currently going in and watching the Kelvin verse movies. And I think all of us were quite pleasantly surprised at how much we like Star Trek into darkness. So if you guys want to check out uh, that episode where we end up kind of gushing a bit about a movie that I think a lot of us weren't as impressed with uh, a the movie first that time all you listeners hate. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> if you hate give it, it you're re-watch. like, you got to give it a rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. What are they going to sell us on here? Uh, yeah. Patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Go make that $2 an episode pledge. And uh, you only get charged if we put out an episode, but we got 23 weeks of Trek, baby. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so come join us on this ride. There it is. All right. <laughs> yeah. And hey, I just want to remind you guys to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can check us out at Star Trek Pod. Tweet about the episode. Let people know that you love what you're hearing, that we're a bunch of people who love Trek and love to talk about it. And also, as always, I want to shout out Two people who help us dearly. Karen, who helps run our Twitter, and James Worm, who helps out on our Insta. Thanks, James. Thanks, Karen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us on the pod. Clyde, where can we follow you online and hear more from you? You can find me at Clyde Haynes on Twitter, and you can find me on the web at www.keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. Mariah. And I'm at Mariah Gossett. That's Mariah with a Y and a gossip with two S's, two T's. I apologize. I had a cat who would not leave my office who has now decided he really wants to leave, but we're almost done. (laughs) (laughs) Grant Davis. You can find me at Baron Von Grant over on Instagram, over on Twitter, right here. Follow me on Twitter at Mike M. Garcia. Live long and prosper.